Joanna, do you ever wish you could definitively prove that you had the right opinions about movies? Uh, yeah, Neil, because I do have the right opinions about movies and television. Right, Dave? No, because I'm more right about those things, and I demand trial by content. Oh, boy. What is trial by content? Each week, we'll take on a huge question. Each of us will bring a choice, and combined with listener submissions and your votes, we will come to a decision. It's trial by content every Tuesday on Spotify, TheRinger.com, or wherever you're listening right now. Don't let Neil win. Don't let Dave win. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to The Pod Has Spoken. I'm Riley McAtee, and you're probably wondering why you're hearing me and not Tyson introduce this episode. Tyson's out this week. He is on a journey. He's probably looking for all the things that Daniel lost in the last episode of Survivor. That's pretty much all we can say about that. Uh, I will temporarily be taking over and will guide us through this latest episode of Survivor. With me to help with that is the host of our Bachelor Party podcast. It is Juliet Littman. Juliet, Hello. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. I love Survivor. What an absolute delight. Just always a great show. Always delivers. Here we are in season 42. I can't believe it. I know. 21 years later. And also joining us to help is the winner of Survivor South Pacific and a contestant on Survivor Winners at War is Sophie. Woohoo! I'm excited to be here because I love The Bachelor. So, <laughs> um, Sophie and I were supposed to meet about two years ago. I think you invited me to a Survivor watch party. I love random invites, and I try to say yes to all of them. So I was going to come, and then I think COVID happened, right? Well, yeah, and I'm feeling really bad about this because I'm like a massive Bachelor party fan, and I had this whole thing planned out where I was like, I'm going to invite Juliet, but it's going to be casual. There's going to be a lot of people there. <laughs> it's not going to be any like one-on-one pressure. And instead, I end up like first time meeting, like first date is on a podcast. So. Well, that's great. It's very true to the Bachelor spirit, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> I wish I could contribute to this discussion in any way, but if we're going to talk about The Bachelor, I'm going to have absolutely nothing to say. Show yourself out. <laughs> that's sorry. okay. We can talk about Survivor. I watched one season of The Bachelor years ago. Which and then one? I've never Which returned. one? The one with Nick, I think. I think Nick oh. was The Bachelor. Oh, okay. That wasn't that long ago. I was going to say, that didn't feel like years ago. I thought I was... you were going to say like Jake and Vienna or Sophie, did you watch a lot of reality TV before going on Survivor? No. Survivor was a huge turning point in my life, and not necessarily because of like winning a million dollars or being on national television, but I was the most oblivious person to pop culture before Survivor. Like, I grew up in a household with no TV. It just, I, I was not interested or aware. 
And since Survivor, my TV watching switched to like pure reality TV. It's just like, I think almost my number one interest now is kind of pop culture stories, or I don't know the term for it. What's like a pop culture story, but not about a celebrity, like about normal people, but like human interest stories, like scam artists. Sure. I was going to say like a Vanity Fair type profile. Okay. Yeah. Cool. What'd you think about Bad Art Friend? Did you read that? Which one is that? Oh, I'll send it to you after. Okay. Sorry, I'm real. I'm really <laughs> derailing us from Survivor. <laughs> so, have you paid close attention to Survivor since South Pacific? Yeah, I mean, I was a super fan of Survivor before. I sorry, I should not say super fan. I was somebody who watched Survivor religiously before South Pacific. Going on South Pacific, I learned about the new brand or the brand of super fan, which I was not even aware of. It's like Cochrane and the like, um, who had you know buff collections and everything. So I was a religious watcher, a survivor before then. And then since then, I have not missed the season. I would say after my first season and then Winners at War was a little different because of COVID. Like I had a little bit of a, this is kind of hard to watch. I'm not sure I can do this. And I kind of like muscled through it. But uh, yeah, no, I've, I've watched every season. That's not true. I've, n- I've never seen Marquesas or Fiji. Um, but other than that, I've seen every season. Was Fiji when Earl won? Yeah. That was, that was a pretty boring season, if I recall correctly. I think correctly. that's widely thought to be the worst season of all time. Or like maybe Thailand, maybe it's a tie. Yeah. But Marquesas is good, I think. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of healthy debate about that. That's where you get into the super fan territory. <laughs> if you're debating the, the worst season of a, a show that has run for 42 seasons, I think you're pretty much in super fan territory. Are you guys longtime super fans or recent watch Netflix fans or somewhere in the middle? I'm like a longtime religious watcher. So I actually began with Borneo as like a family thing, like when I was a child. So, but not, I do not have a buff collection. I own one buff. (laughs) It was given to me as a gift. That's, I I always wanted one. I was at summer camp for season one, so I missed it. And then I was really into season two with Australia. I was like obsessed with Elizabeth because she was a sneaker designer before we learned a lot about Elizabeth. Yeah. And and then uh, I was really, really into it, like, through, I don't know, up to, like, what was the JT season? Oh, Token, token teens. teens. Right. So so Tyson wow, drove Tyson, me away. Hopefully yeah. he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I'm just joking. I, I was really, I took, like, a short break, basically, from, like, 2016 to 2018. But other than that, I've been really, really into it. I My favorite season is Cook Islands, hands down. Absolutely love it. Um, Yule came to speak at my college when I was when I was there. I feel like Yule spoke at everybody's college. Like the number of people who he was say doing that. a bone marrow drive or like awareness. Um, of course he was. And I remember going and like asking questions about Survivor, and he was like, "That's not why I'm here." <laughs> but I still love Yule, um, and I also love Ozzy, who you played with, and yeah, I just love the show. But I, Riley definitely has you definitely way more info than I do. Yeah, I mean, I actually do have a similar kind of arc, though, in that I fell out of watching this show like while I was in college. Mm. I just fell out of watching basically all TV and then kind of actually after college moved in with some roommates and one of the guys watched Survivor. And I was like, I used to watch that show. I'll keep watching it. That's a sign of a good college experience. Like that shows social life, happiness. (laughs) Yes, I stopped playing. uh, I stopped watching Survivor and I stopped playing video games in college. And now I watch Survivor and play video games. So it's just reverted back. How are you both feeling about this season? I'm super optimistic. 
I feel like the uh, the cast is like amazing. That's all you need for Survivor. I mean, now they don't change locations, so they're not going to change that. Uh, right. I almost feel like at peace with all the advantages that are going to happen because we all know they're going to happen. We don't have to bitch about them all season. Like we don't have to focus on them. So I can just focus on the cast. It's great. I like it too. I think changing location was like gratuitous, honestly. Also, I, I hated a river season. So I'm glad that it's like just ocean. I remember like thinking the water in China like just made them look muddy all the time. And so I'm like, I'm like happy this is more pristine. <laughs> so I like that. I think comparing 41 and 42 is like a really fun thought exercise. And like, I, I'm dying to find out from the producers when this season wraps. Like, I'm sure they they wouldn't talk about it now, but I, I'm just so, so fascinated by what they learned from 41 that they changed for 42. Yeah. And also just like the fact that the 42 contestants haven't seen 41 makes it so interesting to see like the shot in the darks being played way more than we got mm-hmm. last season. There's been one every week so far, right? Like, yeah. except for last week, I guess. Did, did they play it at all last season? One time. Sydney played it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sassy Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. And there there've been like little like you mentioned the shot in dark like when Sydney played it she just like unwrapped the scroll and now it's Jeff doing that. Like right. I've noticed like little changes like that. It's fun. Her. You get to like see behind the scenes of like kind of how production like tweaks little little things. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I'm excited to talk about Jonathan. I think when there's like one person who's physical dominance is so so obvious like it makes for an interesting season a, a lot of my favorite seasons have that and there's a lot of good characters also a lot of these people are turning out to be really different than i thought like no one is a stereotype of the season no one's a stereotype and yet they're all like really extreme versions of themselves which i think is what makes the survivor season fun and sometimes my survivor my complaint is like it's such a short show you don't really get to ever know the contestants incredibly well like nobody in Survivor really gains Instagram followers, right? And it's because when you right. see them on the show, you don't really know them. Like you kind of know them in the context of this game. But this cast, I feel like they're all so oddly particular that they've been able to do a really good job of like summing up their personalities in these really brief moments. Like you see Marianne kind of like hopping up and down for two seconds and you see, you know, Jonathan being a Goliath in the water for two seconds. And like, it's almost like the... I don't know. The show feels like very rich in like all of the small moments. Like they're kind of taking advantage of every moment from the way the contestants walk into the game to um, the way they talk to each other. Like it just feels like there's a lot more character development in small ways. Yeah. This cast. I like it. Yeah, I I totally agree. I feel like I think similar to what you're saying, Sophie, I'm a little skeptical of all the advantages and stuff. There's been some of that that has just worn me down on this current era of survivor but it's like all they need is a really good cast and i thought season 41 had a really good cast and this one seems like it has a really good cast through four episodes and that is the make or break like if you can do do well with casting you're gonna have a good season do you guys get annoyed i mean i guess Juliet, you said you didn't mind but like do you get annoyed at all or do you notice as viewers the similarities of fiji from like episode to episode because for me you know having winners at war at fiji and now watching it every single snapshot i'm like oh i know where that path is oh i know where that tree is and it's kind of almost like painfully familiar and kind of not boring but it's just there's something kind of the same about it to me but i do you notice that from season to season like landmarks that are the same or is it just i absolutely recognize there's the one beach with that giant rock at the end of it and that one it's just every season they have yeah. a tribe on that beach. And I think it's also often been like the merge beach as well. It seems like it's like 
Yeah, it the, was on the beach. beach. Yeah. And I noticed that. I don't I don't know specific trees and things like that, but I do get this feeling of just yeah, like sameness of the So you don't get the, like the PS PTSD of like that's where Tony spied on me. No, no because we didn't play the game. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't really notice that much. I think with the journey stuff and like when they go to they've decided if they're gonna yeah. uh, what to do their boat, I notice it a little bit more with that. I think this season the ocean will just become so memorable because of how rough it seems to be that that probably will linger on. But I don't I don't really notice. But I I have to say, like, because I don't usually cover Survivor, I don't watch it with the same extreme like intensity that I do with like The Bachelor because I'm not like trying to notice production tricks in the same way. All right. Well, I think we can jump into the episode here. We'll just go through chronologically. And we start in the Vati camp and Daniel has just wriggled his way out of tribal council and he has a lot of explaining to do. And so he kind of he actually doesn't really want to explain it with his tribe. But in a confessional, he talks about how it was a total disaster. But he's kind of weird here because he's like, oh, I trusted Chanel and the trust wasn't reciprocated. And she didn't have my back at rocks, but he was the only one deciding at rocks. And so it's just a bizarre situation. And I feel bad about the whole thing because I had Daniel as like my winner pick after two episodes. And now (laughs) I feel like the guy is in last place right now. I'm still so confused by that. By what happened with Daniel? By the Chanel thing. Like, I don't even understand, like, what leg he has to stand on to blame Chanel. Well, she did. She did voice to him in tribal last week, like, go for Lydia, right? Like, she. Yes. And then, yeah. and then she admits it. So yeah. I don't know. Like, he, I guess, like, he's making his own decisions. But he did. He did have, like, conversations with Lydia. I feel like she was actually kind of, I mean, with Chanel, I feel like she was she's lying to everyone. Yeah, but she's lying in like a very open, admitting way. I, she seems to have, I agree that she seems to have gotten away scot-free. But like, the whole, Daniel seems to be almost mad that like, if they're both lying, she shouldn't be in trouble too. Like, if she's not in trouble, why is he in trouble? Um, rather than just kind of like embracing, I don't know, defending his own trouble. I'm not and, sure if that makes sense. Daniel being like, oh, rocks, you know, the rocks was a disaster. And it's like, you started out rocks yeah. by saying, I'm not going to go to rocks, even though you're a lawyer and should understand how negotiation works. And high was based, as he says in this episode, was like, once he said that, I knew I basically had him. I could just, you know, pretend like I wasn't going to back down and flip the whole game. I feel like Daniel can't recover. Like, can Daniel win the game? No. I don't know. Adam recovered and won the game, so I just say I don't know anymore. It's still pre-merged, too. Well, Sophie, why do you say that based on your experience? Like, why do you think he's just done for? Yes, I feel like in Survivor, so much of it is about kind of like reputation. And the pre-merge is like all about building your reputation, especially in a newbie season. Like in a returner season, so much of Winners at War was we all came in with some kind of reputation. And it was near to impossible to kind of shed that. And it was that reputation was like almost like you weren't necessarily playing against people as much as you were playing against people's reputation, be they true or false. And I feel like in a normal game of Survivor, the pre-merge is all about like establishing your reputation and trying to establish yourself as um, kind of non-threatening in some way. Like you almost, you saw um, uh, Swati do it this episode where like in the tribal council, she was, she kept trying to say like, oh, you know, I'm such a shy person and here I'm so proud of myself for coming out of my shell. Like to me, that was her trying to almost establish her reputation as I'm here to like grow. 
Like, don't Mm -hmm. look at me. I'm not here to screw you over. Like, I'm just here about growth. And there's other people who Daniel, right? Like his reputation should have been, I'm just here because I'm a super fan who had cancer. And like, I just want the experience. And I feel like everybody tries to convince everybody else that like, they're not there for the right reasons. Like they're there for, they're not there to win. Like, don't worry. We're here for, you know, some other reason. And Daniel, I feel like he's totally screwed his reputation. Like he's going to, if he even makes the merge, right. He comes into the merge looking like, I think Adam did it when he was born. I guess Adam did it in the previous season, but kind of like, he's my point. But either way, he's like <laughs> totally trashed his reputation in a way that even on Survivor, if he makes like 50 good moves and becomes like the all-time best ally, it's like that reputation follows you and follows you because there's often like no reason to vote somebody out other than some, even like if it's fake, some kind of fake reputation that's been built up. Right. Which is why I'm a big proponent of like the lay low, like get your like bearings, get your like positioning which is what Tony did in, in Winners at War and what Erica did in last season. And I feel like Daniel has just kind of like blown that all up. I don't know. Maybe he can establish his reputation as like a total nut job <laughs> and some, somehow use that to his advantage. But I feel like it's going to be tough. Because I think isn't the path forward for him to just be like, I'm such a non-threat now because yes. I blew up yeah. my whole game that why would you ever vote me out? And then eventually down yeah. the line, post-merge, he makes like Get a move redemption. or two. Yeah. That, that builds that resume back up. Yeah. But he seems to be digging a hole for himself deeper by not just coming back and admitting that, right? By like trying to lawyer everybody into believing that he's right. Telling Mike, oh, I didn't play you. And then Mike's like, you lied to me. And he's like, oh, yeah, I lied to you. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's yeah, like, yeah, you weren't my number one. So and that was that was pretty weird. I, the, I think in the game, I don't know if the other people could possibly see this. But to me, like as just a TV viewer, I would just sum up Daniel as saying he's sloppy, like for the same yeah. reason he loses stuff. And for the same reason he <laughs> like, we're not going to rocks. Like he just, he doesn't have the careful hand. Yeah. He doesn't have like the sort of like the delicate game. And he's just kind of like a bull in a China shop playing survivor where like, he just, he's just like literally a mess. Why is this so common too for like the survivor super fan on the <laughs> show to be such a sloppy player? This like seems to happen once or twice every season. I think that's just like the stress gets to them. If you ever like go back and watch old seasons and watch actors play the game, like which used to be 50% of every cast, like they're so suave. Like they don't give a shit. They don't seem to even be aware of why they're out there. And Daniel, I think also like he is viewing every moment, not just from himself. Like he's not present. He's viewing every moment as it will be viewed on TV, thinking about every moment as he will be seen on TV. And he can't like play the game. Do you think that the other people can tell that? Like, can you tell when someone's playing for TV versus for themselves? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, <laughs> Who are you thinking of right now? Uh, I mean, coach. I mean, coach for everything, right? Was He was like so unaware of what was going on around him because he was too focused on like, how do I build up this per- like this persona? Mm. Uh, and it was always like to his own detriment because he was so committed to, you know, being coach. I just assumed he was like that. Me I too. guess he did a good job. Well, I think he can't help himself. You know, I, th- <laughs> I, think, I think he is like that. Oh, poor Daniel. The other thing is like the absurdity of the whole thing is that they're all lying in many ways just as much as Daniel. Like this is one of my favorite things that happens on Survivor is Daniel's lied and everybody has, it's in everybody's best interest to start like create this narrative that Daniel is evil, manipulative, a liar. And it's insane because like, they're all pretty much doing the same thing. 
but it's crazy on Survivor that like as long as everybody just kind of group thinks themselves into believing that there's kind of good and evil or there's you know honest and distrustworthy, it's it's almost like what happened with Daniel allows all the other lies that happened to kind of fall to the background. You know, like Chanel's going to get away with things, and High's going to get away with things, and Mike's going to get away with things because they can you know they can all look at Daniel. And then the whole thing's going to happen again in four days. But it's like Survivor's <laughs> this weird ecosystem where it has to like always level out to this place where everybody pretends that they're, you know, honest people. On this season, the whole thing might happen again in two days too. Yeah. <laughs> this like 12 day season or whatever it is. I think it's 26, <laughs> right? 26. I yeah. think every contestant we've had on this podcast has expressed some kind of that emotion toward the 39 to 26 day switch. It's so painful watching the show and hearing them spew this BS about like how this is the hardest game ever. And nobody's ever experienced this. And you're sitting there being like, I lost 30 pounds. You starved me to death. It was freezing cold. And like, you're just pretending like my experience was nothing. <laughs> Which was harder for you, South Pacific or Winners of War? Uh, South Pacific by a lot. South Pacific, sorry. Some said that we also did not get rice because they wanted like Ozzy probably to be, you know, the Fishing. yeah provider. So we did not get rice. But you weren't on the tribe with Ozzy. Well, no, exactly. But they had to eat uh, fish. <laughs> so even worse, I was on the no rice and no fish tribe. Why was that one much harder? Like what, what makes it harder? A couple one, things. One way? So we didn't have rice. So like no, like that's reliable nice. food source that like I lost 30 pounds in that season. So that's one that was back in the day where they were a lot harsher with your wardrobe. So Nicaragua, if you remember, two girls quit, uh, Nyanka, Nyanka and I don't remember her name. And apparently one of the big reasons they quit was because they were just freezing, freezing cold. And I was so cold the whole South Pacific. All I had was like a skirt and a t-shirt and barely this like old Navy thing that looked like a sweater, but was actually made out of like paper. And it was absolutely freezing. And now they, like on this last season, they let us me bring like a cashmere sweater and I had a, like a shorts and pants. I think they've gotten a lot better because it was also just sexist. Like the men tended to have bigger, heavier clothing and the women tended to be in these like flimsy, you know, skirts. It's, it's just, it's really cold at night out there. It was really notable uh, with Xander's sweater last season that they, like they had changed something because his sweater was like so omnipresent. And I remember we talked about it with Tyson Riley. I was like commenting on Xander's sweater and he was like, yeah, it was really smart. And also wool is both good for uh, water and dry. So it is. And also I noticed the women all had like short hot yeah. pants sort of like clearly they set them up more for success even than last season. Yeah. I, I heard they even after our season have been giving more and more clothes. And part of the reason too is because of all the stuff that happened on season 39 with the like inappropriate touching mm -hmm. um, they I think they realized that before that, I mean, so much of survivor was freezing cold at night and like choosing who to cuddle. And right. it's kind of crazy that like, you're somewhat forced to cuddle strangers just to stay warm on this reality show by CBS. So I think part of their thing has been, let's give people enough clothing so that they have the option to not spoon a stranger. Well, that's good. Yeah. It's like positive progress. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Ice Tea. 
Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's one last thing I want to hit from last week's tribal council. We learned High changed his vote at tribal council. He, he switched. He was supposed to vote for Jenny and the vote split plan is going to work. And Sophie, I just want to ask you, how rare is that? Is it often that somebody changes their vote at tribal council or are you pretty much set when you go in? I feel like you should ask Tyson this question. Didn't he have some like very memorable heroes versus villains situation? He he switched his vote in heroes versus villains. And instead of a vote split plan working and Russell going home, Tyson went home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tyson. It, well, I will say one thing the last episode made me feel was like, you should, if anybody ever proposes, it's always in your best interest if somebody proposes a very specific way to split the votes, which people always do, because you have to decide in some way, like you should always propose switching it at the last minute. Like there's like no doubt. changing who votes for, for what the vote split is? Yeah. And part of this is my own PTSD, but like, this is what got me out on Winners at War was like a really bad vote split that I didn't even want to do. And like, I think if you're in the situation where you're worried about a vote split, like there's no downside in kind of testing it by telling people that you want to split it in a totally different way. So that's one thing. Anyways, I think it's really rare, but I do think that the live tribal thing has probably made it a lot more common because I think now the live tribal stuff, there's sometimes when it's pure theater, when it's like, we're trying to get people to do an idol and blah, blah, blah. But often people truly do wait until tribal to try to like make, like pull some fast ones. And I almost feel like with Swatine, she might've been more successful with trying to get out Drea doing that kind of thing, right? Cause like Tori is so unpredictable. There's people that you don't want to give them a whole day to be able to like screw over your plan. So I, I think the, the changing at tribal happens a lot more often now. All right. Well, uh, let's move ahead to the reward challenge. So Taku dominates. Taku is now, they're the four person tribe. They're down two members, but they are now 
just killing it in every challenge. And it's basically Jonathan carrying the team on his back. In this case, he he just actually it's not that physical. This one isn't because it's this rope challenge that they have to kind of <laughs> get through. And so there uh, is it actually more physical than I'm making it sound? No, it's not. It just it was crazy to me at the end how they were like it was all Jonathan. I know, like literally a challenge where three people had to hold ropes. Right. Yeah. This wasn't like he carried the ladder through the the current or whatever, you know, that he's done in the past. I'm like, this one was just, you walk under some ropes, you just untangle yourself. Although maybe he was like double dutching them almost and like, you know, I don't know. That's true. He was in charge of like moving the ropes, it seemed like. And then did they have to, they had to throw the balls into the basket too, right? All four of them had to at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Was that new? I don't remember them ever doing... I like that. Like you, cause usually there's like that hero moment at the end. I like the idea of every person having to me too. And, and I was yeah. going to say like, that also means it's less Jonathan making yeah. total impact because everyone had a, had to contribute to that win. And so I, I love Jonathan. I think he seems really sweet and like I protect Jonathan. Obviously he's huge, you know, huge target on his back, but it's not only him. Like, I do think that like one really strong player makes a huge difference. Obviously, Sophie and all better, but like one person doesn't win a team's team game. And I, I do think that like the, the harmony of the tribe yeah. is being underrated by the other two tribes. Yeah, and- I totally agree. Also, I think that the, the height difference between Jonathan and Marianne was probably really harmful for that challenge. I would yeah. think you'd want people all of the same heights. I think that the point that Jonathan stupidly made at the end of the challenge, like, is what you're saying. It's totally right. Like that tribe is just, obviously there's some kind of vibe happening. Um, and they're all, you know, synced up. So Jeff is the one who's like goading Jonathan. He's like, Jonathan, like how much does this matter? And Juliet, we were talking before the pod. I know you had like an angle on. (laughs) I was wondering if Jeff is kind of sabotaging Jonathan. Cause he's jealous. Like, well, I'm like, I'm like, are they worried Jonathan's going to run away with it? Or is there not enough drama? If, this one tribe just keeps on winning. Like I, Jonathan's obviously dominant, but I feel like Jeff is, has talked about it so much that I'm wondering yeah. if he's like trying to hurt Jonathan's game or if it's like a strategic decision to do that. And I'm not trying to, and, and by the way, if that was the case, I'd be totally fine with it. I know that's how reality TV works. Like it's not, it's not like just a totally free market. There are various forces at play here. So I just, he's mentioned it a lot. Yeah. And, it come, and then again, in the, uh, the immunity challenge, which we'll get to people like Jonathan in the last 10 years or whatever, like they are just merge fodder so often that I suppose like, you know, by Jeff doing that, it might just be accentuating a story that he thinks is already going to happen. Like better Mm -hmm. than having the strong guy go at the merge is like the strongest guy of all time going at the merge. Um, (laughs) But it seems a little unfair to Jonathan, although Jonathan really is not helping his case. Jonathan's like a little awkward, isn't he? Yeah, he seems like yeah. he had no friends. Like yeah. he seems like he's yeah. so happy to have friends and like away from his dad and like not yeah. have to like run drills. So that dad thing. Oh my god. Do you think his dad is still alive? Yeah, I think he would have said if he was not. Yeah, they would have mentioned it. So was that a happy dad story? Like I couldn't tell. <laughs> I think if you're asking, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it was not. supposed to be happy. No, I think it was supposed to be happy. <laughs> you do? <laughs> Yeah, he was like, I got, you know, imbued with this sense of strength from a young age. He feels like he, it uh, is part of his identity now. But it was a little like, yeah, I was forced to do push-ups when I was a teenager. 
And then they like flashed a photo on the screen that showed him at the age of like eight years old or something. I wasn't sure which of the little boys in that picture was Jonathan. I was thinking the one on the left. That was my immediate. Thought. I was just like, I, I needed, a, I need some identification here. I couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah, I was not sure either. So then they go, they go back to camp and Jonathan realizes he totally messed up by talking about how strong the tribe is. And then he goes into exactly what you're talking about this, uh, this flashback. And he also talks about how he wants to just be the service for the tribe and wants to use it for yeah. the tribe. And it's like, this is just such an old school way to play that I really think does set him up for disaster at the merge. See, I like, I love that. I think my only complaint with new school survivor is sometimes they cast too many people who are gamers. Like I love it when they cast people who are there with their own kind of mission and mindset, which is not, you know, this is how you play survivor. Um, Cause I feel like then the interactions are so much more fascinating. Like you would have never gotten that Marianne Jonathan interaction. If Jonathan is like, you know, a gamer who's aware of, you know, cares less about providing for this tribe than winning the game. Like I, I, I wish there were more kind of Jonathan's on survivor. I completely agree. And I find myself being drawn to him too, because this is the type of player who never wins. Yeah. And, and like you would know something about that because you played with Ozzy on, uh, on a season that was seemingly was like designed for Ozzy to win and he still couldn't win it. Yeah. How much of that is you think they overcompensate their physical game and then neglect their social game? Because obviously, because I'm an Ozzy super fan. I mean, my college roommates and I were obsessed with him. And, you know, he just thought that like playing the right way or whatever was enough, essentially. And I think Jonathan is doing the same thing here. Like he believes in like the purity of the tribe and like just being a servant and whatnot. Um, You know, it's definitely very I found the way that he speaks to be like very um, like religious sounding, though. He hasn't mentioned religion at all. But he did. You remember when he was he did when he was like. Yeah, when Omar was like, I'm going to go over there and pray. Oh, and yeah. If you ever care about, you know, oh, yeah. learning my religion, I'm happy to tell you. And he's like, yeah, if you ever uh, want to know anything about Christianity. I forgot. Yeah. And so he does really have like a sort of like a, a Christian approach, I think, to like what his role is. And it comes, it does come across really strongly. I totally forgot about that. I wonder if part of it is like, it's either that he, people like him, this is not a negative thing, but like maybe he just hasn't had to flex certain parts of what are normal human personality traits because he's like always been able to rely on his strength, his looks, whatever. Um, Either that, or there might be something almost like ego bruising about realizing that that's not enough. I do think really physically gifted and physically attractive people exist in the world very differently from people who are not those things. And so he probably just doesn't know what it's like. Yeah. He hasn't like had to be a kind of, manipulative asshole like things come to him like he hasn't had to lie and cheat for them i mean i don't know his life is probably very difficult and you never know what life's like but either way he obviously has a very rosy view of the world you know what really beautiful those fish i can't imagine eating something that looked like that on the outside which i guess is like maybe a sign of my own humanity or just my appreciation for looks and why i like jonathan but i was like wow those are beautiful fish i couldn't believe they were real Ten fish is a lot of fish to be eating for four people. For four people, yeah. Even if you're that I don't starving, think fish keep. Yeah, I feel like you got to cook them. Yeah, definitely. Maybe do you think if you kept fish in boiling water for multiple days, they would keep? Uh, I mean, 
I feel like they'd be pretty <laughs> gross at the end. You also, the water would evaporate them. and you'd have to be like constantly refilling it. That seems complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could, they could like figure out how to smoke it. I don't know. <laughs> all right. So we, we hard pivot from the Taku tribe, which is all good vibes. And we switch to the Ika tribe, which is basically falling apart. Romeo is upset with Roxroy. Tori's also upset with Roxroy. But people also don't trust Tori, and Tori is trying to talk about Drea's extra vote with other people. And it just becomes this whole mess. And Sophie, I wanted to ask you a bit about like tribe vibes and like some of the tribes that you've been on and like how important that is. Is there like can you how much can you sense like the difference between an eco tribe and like a Taku tribe while you, when you're on it? Oh, very clearly. Because I, I asked this question because I feel like you played on one of the tribes that probably had the weirdest vibes ever. Are you talking and about? So, yeah, I'm talking about South Pacific. Yeah, but South Pacific was like, um, it was like the blue tribe in the like orange tribe skin. Like it was a weird tribe, but we accomplished the thing that I think every survivor player wants to accomplish which is this like fake kumbaya environment where everybody is, you know, convinced that they have a pass to the end and you are a family who's going to move in together after the show's over and never part and we'll be best friends forever. And I feel like the orange tribe seems to have like naturally done that and survivor South Pacific, our tribe, we had to like patch that together with a lot of religion uh, (laughs) and (laughs) weird cult stuff. But our, I don't know. I feel like um, bad tribes almost spiral because good tribes, good tribes like buddy systems emerge naturally because you're all hanging out with each other. And so there's no time to strategize because you're lo- like laughing and joking and you're kumbaya. But the moment that things start to go bad, it means that people start to leave camp and people start to talk to other people. And then like there's no opportunity to like get kumbaya again. Um, it just becomes a mad, mad rat race. You know, the closest I think I felt to that ever on any of my seasons was probably uh, Swap Tribe, Winners at War, where we had kind of Sarah. And, I mean, the time that we had Boston Rob, like for those few hours, uh, there was like weird, weird vibes. But that's also a very weird beach. If you go back and look at any tribe that's ever been on that beach, it is it is the worst beach in Fiji. There's like a wind tunnel. Nobody can sleep at night. It's significantly colder. And I think it just is cursed. That's my theory. <laughs> it's just cursed. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That is a weird tribe, though. Isn't there something weird about Tori? Like, what yeah. is that? What's going on? Well, so Tori says at one point in this episode that she wanted to be the sweet girl playing under the radar. And I think if that was her plan, she's just done that <laughs> horribly. I don't like, I understand she's a therapist, but it, it, I found it off-putting when she was, like, diagnosing yeah. rocks. <laughs> totally agree. And I just to like call him a narcissist and to sort of paint him with that brush and assume that she knows everything about him, I thought was really unfair. And her attitude about him is really, really rude. Like her eye roll and everything. And she definitely acts like she knows everything, but she's just a snake. I mean, I, I really, I really don't like her. And I I thought that was like a, a pretty messed up thing to do to like use her profession to justify that kind of commentary. I didn't think that was fair. She also had a weird commentary about like projecting too. Yeah. She was diagnosing everybody right. this last episode. Yeah. It, fe- it felt more like she was an armchair 
therapist than an actual. Yeah. And also yeah. I think a real, a real therapist hopefully would have a lot more empathy than she seems to have. Like she yeah. seems to have none, which is really alarming for me. And like not, not a ton of self-awareness no, either. No. Which I Like therapists are real people. They're going to have flaws like other people do, but I, I'm, kind of stunned at how she just doesn't realize like how she comes across on the show. She's like a Halloween costume of a therapist or something. She's like, I feel like she's the kind of person who, if you had like an inside thing with, she'd be like, okay. Like I won't, she's just very loud in the way she does everything to the point where she, even when she's trying to be under the radar, she does it in like an incredibly loud way. Um, Also Tori's 25. I don't know how much training you can have at 25 to be a therapist. So I, I need to know more about her credentials. Just going to throw that out there. And in fact, I'm going to Google it while we talk. Carry on. <laughs> that said, I was slightly impressed, although I thought it was a little over the top because everything she does is over the top. But I was at least impressed that she was able to like withhold her ego enough to um, like placate Roxroy on that on that walk. I can't remember exactly what he was saying to her, but like she was doing a good job of kind of agreeing with everything. Yeah, she was like, oh, I'm so glad you're on our tribe. Like, what would we do without you? And he did seem to be eating that up. And then to her credit, later in the episode, she is able to like wiggle. Like, she's clearly on the bottom of the Ika tribe. Yeah. And she was able, I think she actually wanted to work with Swathi and then figured out that the better, like once everything sort of exploded, the better move was to actually shift the target on Swathi. She just just lays it on a little thick. Like, I feel like her, that maybe only was going to work with Roxoy, right? Because he's like ready to receive that kind of thickness. But she, yeah, is heavy handed with her attitude. I just want to note Tori is a certified life coach. Her website, disorderedeating.coach, is, says she's Tori Meehan's DLC. So that's what her certification is. She plans to obtain a PhD in counseling psychology and she specializes in disordered eating. So again, she's maybe not a licensed therapist but she is a licensed certified life coach which i've never heard of but i'll have to research after carry on all right let's uh let's go to the immunity challenge and this one is the jonathan show a bit because he just like rips taku's boat through the water pretty much by himself with like <laughs> marianne just like in the water next to him and it's unbelievable and it was yeah, like they, a five-year-old like learning to swim though i was like does he know how to swim or is he just like using his i guess he does right he's like a fisherman but he was that was intense. It's just like sheer power of will, yeah. just like tearing him through the water. And actually, I skipped over this, but before that, uh, Marianne says her phrase, masterfully says her phrase, is how she puts it. Uh, I would say she kind of clumsily says her phrase. <laughs> but she is clumsy, so in line with her personality. Totally. I, I don't think anyone suspects a thing at this point. <laughs> Just because that is the type of thing that Marianne would say. So it works. Somebody who's like building a good reputation. Like she's building a good foundation of like just there for the fun, totally wild. How could Marianne ever like, if I was there out there, I would think I'm going to see through her. Like if she ever tries to lie to me, like this, this girl can't do that. And yet she's, I feel like she's thinking like she had that comment about Jonathan not saying the right thing. Like she's not totally clueless. Yeah. That makes her good to have though, as an ally, right? Because you feel like if she does start to turn, you'll know it immediately. Yeah. I I wish I could like have like a true experience of like what it's like for her to like take things in. Cause I I think that she's, (laughs) she expresses herself in such a specific, unique way that I'm curious, like what it's like to sort of take all of this in. And, and, and I guess like the way that she's 
been edited, I think is really lovable. And, but it's like hard to understand what she's like, like as the night's winding down or like, yeah. as they're like figuring out what to go to sleep. Like I'd, I'd love like more of that, but I, I adore her. I think she's been such great television and just seems like a really like sweet person and um, really lovely. I adore her. Yeah, I like her in the amount of doses we're getting. I do yeah. wonder if it <laughs> might be topic. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. Sophie, what do you think of these shared idols that cost someone their vote and, and they do these phrases and everything? I'm pro fun on Survivor. I don't know if you remember like last season, there was this whole thing about Mike White telling Jeff like Survivor had to be fun because Jeff was trying to like create this like insane board game world of Survivor. So I I love the phrases. Like I think it's hilarious. There should be more stuff like that. And then the shared idols, they're just good. To, I mean, I personally don't like them because it's kind of what got me voted out on my second season. But I think... Survivor needs to do as much as possible always to avoid a beganging. Um, and like the more that they force people to share information, the better. Because people's natural inclination out there is to like kind of go into your shell, stick with your people, hope that your people are more loyal and see how it goes. And like those are the worst seasons of Survivor. And so it's too bad, but your your winner's season was a beganging. Was it though? It didn't feel like a no, it didn't feel like a begonging. I no, Hold oh on. my winner. Sorry, 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 sorry. I thought you meant winners at work. Yes. No, no, no. Oh no, South my Pacific. Season. No, no, yes, of course. No, no. Very different. As a contestant, begonging is like um, you know, creme de la creme. That's what you're rooting for. <laughs> it's easy, you know, not too much drama. It's just smooth, smooth, smooth. TV, I understand why they don't want it. Right. So this is the tension is that the contestants want to find a way where they get to emerge and it's six, five, and then it's five easy votes in a row. And that is the last thing that production wants. Well, they want to like minimize variation. Like I thought Daniel's idea of like, can we kill these idols? Like that being his reaction was really smart. Mm-hmm. Um, because the best possible thing, probably even better than Daniel than having an, uh, better than having an idol that people know about better than knowing an idol is in the game. It's also like the more information there is, the more, variation you can't control what information other people have how they're going to react to that information like you want to be able to predict what every single person might do and the more swirl there is out there the more impossible that is to do um i thought daniel's thing about killing those idols was brilliant he does seem to have like good strategy ideas he just can't execute them like he he knows how to play but he can't actually do it so Good luck. You know, he uh, he ran like a survivor class at Yale Law School. Oh, really? Yeah. He, I feel bad because he invited me to it. I, I didn't ever go, but some people went. Uh, like, I think Cochran went to it. Uh, Steve Fishback went to it. He ran this, um, I think it was about juries. He ran it for a couple of years. It was a, he ran it with like a professor at Yale Law School. So he definitely like knows what to do on paper. Uh, like, I think he knows survivor strategy, but Maybe yeah. you could have taught him something. This is why <laughs> he blew up his game. He's, you didn't go. It's on you, Sophie. Um, all right. So Taku wins immunity, uh, first place again. And Vati gets second place. So it's Ika going to tribal. Ika's like the disaster tribe. So this is what I was rooting for in the immunity challenge. Can I just say I'm really impressed that you know the names of all these tribes? Me too. I don't think anybody listening to you knows the names. It's because I have them written down. <laughs> <laughs> I actually noticed in this episode that at one point Jeff said blue and green, referring to yeah. two tribes, which I feel like he very rarely does. He likes to push the names. And I was like, man, even for him, all of these names are just blurring together yeah. into, into nothingness. Just a question about that location. Are the fish like really noticeable? Because not only do we get the 10 fish for the reward, but then the puzzle was that giant fish that like looks similar. 
And I was like, what's this fish theme? I have to say, I love that kind of puzzle. I'm like, I personally would like to do that. Seem fun. But I was just like very confused by this fish agenda. I also noticed the fish agenda. And I feel like it's probably one of those things that as a viewer, you don't even think about, but it's probably just like good TV production. Have a little, you know, threads. Um, that, that's my, that's my only guess is like whoever produced this episode was like, all right, guys, it's the fish episode on the storyboard. And they all felt <laughs> good about it. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed too. Oh, I definitely did. That's what we've got. Instead of themes going forward, we'll at least have like <laughs> one little symbol in each episode. I don't know. If you know so Survivor South Pacific, we have no theme to our season. Like it was one of those very weird seasons where it used to be, we were in the middle between, it used to be location themes. And then it became like theme theme is brain sprung through the, our season was on Samoa. They couldn't call it Samoa. They called it South Pacific. They didn't know what to do with it. So if you watch it back, you'll notice the one theme that exists throughout the entire season is coconuts. Oh. Like every single challenge had coconuts. And it's the same kind of thing. Like I remember thinking this is really lame. And we, uh, I'm not sure anybody's going to notice this, but. Because they, they did that similar head-to-head setup with Rob and Russell on a season where they were captains of a tribe. And it was like, oh, okay. Like these two went head-to-head and here's Well, and that's what they called Redemption Island because they had a Redemption Island. Right. But ours had Redemption Island and they couldn't call it Redemption Island because it already was yeah so so they ran back the same format for this one and it was just like okay and our captains are coach and ozzy who've never played together who have no yeah. connection <laughs> we're just doing it for fun and also redemption island is the perfect way to maybe get ozzy a win was what it felt like to me still wish he'd gotten it <laughs> and they did and they uh we're getting a little off track but that last challenge in that season in south pacific sophie that you won was a, was a challenge that Ozzy had already done. It was on a season of his previously. Listen, you don't have to get me started. I'm I'm able to keep be calm about this because I have a million dollars and it's all fine. But if I had <laughs> lost, I would have a lot to say. All right. So we're back at the Ica camp. They're losers. They're going to tribal council. And this is where it seems like Tori is the obvious vote out based on what we've previously seen. That, of course, means there's more to come. It won't be and Tori, this, yeah. Yeah, this is where it starts to unravel for Swathi. And we we get this. I actually, so the new thing that they've started doing are these flashbacks, not only to people's like home life, but also to things that have happened previously. And we get a, a really creative use of that here where Romeo's like, Swathi told me I'm her number one. And Trey is like, oh, she told me the same thing. And Tori's like, oh, she told me I'm her number one. And each time we get this flashback to her saying exactly that to all three of these people. I love a montage like that. I love a montage that like just airs someone out and it's just quick work. Yeah. Got it done. And like we, uh, we understood. We were like, oh, okay, this now we get why. And I feel like there's no other way production wise to, to indicate that. Um, and probably all the conversations are too boring to show all of them. So just like the, the bang, 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 bang. I, I enjoy personally. I felt, I totally agree. I felt like also it was the best representation of like what survivor actually feels like. It's a bit odd because it, like that is, that's what's happening every day and everybody's doing that exact same thing. But I feel like survivors never shown it because like you said, it's so boring. Like what they would have to do so much lead up to be able to get to the payoff. They told everybody that they're the number one, but to do like the bang, bang, I think normally they would have just simplified it. Like right. they would have been like, you know what? We're not going to sh- like, that's too complicated of an answer. Again, they would have figured out some other way to describe the vote out. Are there some vote outs that you were involved in that were super simplified? One for, well, yeah, one gets my beef a little bit. One from South Pacific, <laughs> which is, there was a vote out where a girl from my tribe, Michaela, who was like the um, sexy tactress. Yep. 
was uh, I remember how this was portrayed on TV. <laughs> it was she was voted out, and it was portrayed like it was me and Albert versus Coach and um, Edna, or Coach and Rick. And it was like they wanted Michaela out, and we wanted Edna out. And that part was true. Like we had a little bit of a, a conversation, and we had our arguments. But at some point, Albert and I decided, you know what, the best thing here to do is to vote out Michaela. Because there's Redemption Island. And so what we really care about is that the person who comes back from Redemption Island still wants to work with us. So Albert and I came up with this very convoluted plan that would involve us voting with Michaela so that when she went to Redemption Island, she felt like she still had people on the tribe who were on her side. We like went to Redemption Island the next day to watch the thing. We like pretended to show her support. We very much ended up like we're behind the Michaela decision and only like very knowingly voted that way as a like safety card in case she came back into the game. Anyway, they obviously didn't show that because it was incredibly complicated. She never came back to the game. It didn't matter. But it slightly annoyed me because I feel like people, you know, have said, oh, Sophie was not in control. Anyway, I don't want to get into it, but like I knew it. <laughs> or like that was an example of the fact that like coach was more in control in that season because he like won out on that vote, which was not what happened. But I feel like there's a lot of things like that. Like I know in Winners at War, people say the, I think the Danny vote out was really simplified. Mm-hmm. I don't know why or how, because I wasn't on that drive. I remember in Winners at War, I don't remember the specific examples other than maybe the Parvati vote out, but that it felt like because the fire tokens were in play and that you gave your fire token to somebody, yeah. that there were people who were voting with the person going home, even though they were engineering that vote out so that they could then get the person's fire exactly. token. Exactly. And yes, from a TV storytelling perspective, that makes things really, really complicated yeah. and hard to just to just show what's happening. And not worth it. I think the Parvati one was a good example too, because that tribe had so many pregame alliances mess on it that there was no way to like explain what had happened without like showing, right. you know, Twitter DMs or something. Right. They were, they were like, I remember that was, it was like, oh, Michelle and Parvati are on the same side, but Michelle doesn't have the numbers to save her. And I was like, watching it closely, I'm like, I'm pretty sure Michelle always knew she was going home and was doing it for the fire token. Because then there was like a thing with that fire token later with like Wendell. It was like a whole, yeah there was just tokens. clearly more that happened there. That's been a big evolution since my first time playing. My first time playing, other than the Michaela vote out, we like told people they were going home pre-merge. Mm. And that's what used to happen in Survivor all the time. It was like the kind thing to do was, you know, not to, because on old school Survivor, like lying was a dirty word. Like lying was a bad thing. So the idea of telling somebody that they were going to be safe and then not be safe, even if they weren't going to be on the jury, was just seen as a really shitty thing to do. So I remember many times saying to somebody, hey, by the way, like I'm voting you out tonight. And it was partially because like idols were just not even as big of a thing then as they are now. Like there was only one a season, you know, the chances of somebody having it was low, take a while to find. Um, And now it's like the combination of idols and the like the shot in the dark and stealing tokens. It means that like the number of layers of deception that happened before tribal council to try to like protect against all these forces is insane. I thought that also like just the way that they then ultimately got to the to like the final vote of getting rid of Swathi. Like it made a lot of sense. And also like after last week's sort of theatrics and and all the fireworks, like this in comparison with just sort of like, yeah, okay, this is this they laid the groundwork for this. And it just sort of it kind of felt more old school like you were talking about yeah. because it was uh made like so apparent. But do you think that was the the right choice? Like why didn't they get rid of Tori? I think that the 
Drea and Romeo have all the power in that tribe because yeah. the, th- the other three, other than Swati, are kind of nuts. Um, and if you're with like people who are so fractured, you only need two. And I think that the realization from the two of them that she had said, you're my number one, like, I think that was, that was game over. Right. None of them could get past that. Yeah. I trust her. I wonder if they also felt that later on in the game, Swafi, who they can't trust, could be more of a threat, whereas Tori is just so messy that no one likes her. <laughs> it's like I won't have to worry about her as much in the merge or if it gets swapped or whatever. I'll I'll kinda I can read her a little bit better. Yeah, but like I take them... messy over manipulative any day. For sure. Yeah. Like they like I wonder if they realized when when they found out that Swathi was lying to them, it was like, oh wow, that's a you know, that's like yeah. kind of a big surprise. She did a good job with that versus Tori. It's like, yeah, I, I do not trust Tori yeah. <laughs> from the moment yeah. I talked to her. Yeah, they know what they're getting with Tori. Right. And she sort of at any time can go. So you might as well keep her to use her heading into a merge or whatnot. So do you think Swathi was like um, kind of a poor bystander in this thing? Or do you think she kind of like screwed herself over? I think she made too many promises. I, I think that she was sort of like a a result of this tribe not really having any chemistry. So there was no real, like, th- though you identify Romeo, Andrea having the power, there's not really like a real, like for like organizing principle yeah. to this tribe. And so I think as a result of that, she, because she kind of overpromised and was trying too many avenues, she just kind of got sacrificed. But I think it's just more an indication that like no one in this tribe will win just because there's no like real force here. And there's also like not that compelling of a storyline. And so I I just don't think that anyone on this tribe will be winning. Yeah. I agree with that. This tribe's kind of boring. Yeah. I agree. It's crazy because they're messy. They should be more interesting, but they are kind of boring. (laughs) I agree. So he also is like, I relate to this because in some ways she reminds me of myself. Something about, it might just be her physically, like her, I think she's bad posture and I have bad posture. Like something about her <laughs> reminds, reminds me of myself in South Pacific. We can all look back on our younger selves and, and find fault. Um, Unfortunately, you have a television show to yeah. show you that. I'm, lo- I'm lucky that that's lost to time for me. Oh my God. The pain I feel when people find out that I've been on the show and then three weeks later, they're like, oh, we watched your season. And I usually am like, which season? And like these people, you know, people you meet are like uh, meeting your past self right. that you like less. It's <laughs> that's it's awkward. <laughs> but it kind of reminds me of me, and I, I feel like this is something that I, th- I think the my first season, I just kind of had the right environment for me to succeed in, and I think there could have been a lot of environments where I where I wouldn't have done well. But Swati, I feel like she did something that I could see myself doing at that age, which is, I think she's super smart. I think she had a lot of really good ideas. I think she was not able to like, um, something she necessarily underestimated people around her, but she almost didn't estimate them. Uh-huh. Like she seems like she didn't even think like, what kind of person is Tori? Like, is Tori going to keep this secret? It was almost like she was playing chess and she was like, well, there's three of us and two of them. So if we go here, not realizing, well, you know, Roxroy is a, narcissist or whatever for Tori and Tori is crazy. And so like, even if this is like the most brilliant strategic plan because of numbers, like it can't happen for these reasons. Like, I think she kind of, I don't know. She's like, I think she's in her head a little bit. Riley, I'm curious who your pick to win is now. Like I'm I'm most interested in who you, based on uh, listening to your evolution on the pod, I'm most curious who you think it's going to be. It's it's never been Tori. (laughs) No, I know it's never been Tori, but it was Daniel twice. I think it was Daniel twice, and then last week it was High. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I might stick with High. 
that was a masterclass with Ty. He crushed yeah. it. Yeah. Switching his vote and then from last episode, switching his vote and then uh, winning the rocks negotiation, yeah. I think was pretty good. Also, when also he, unlike Daniel, Daniel kind of knew what was happening at that tribal council. I had no idea. Like he sees four votes come out on a tribe of six and he's just like, what is happening? Yeah. Um, and the fact that he kept his composure and Daniel completely melted down is like a good sign for him, I think. Hi gives, I don't know if Hyde's my winner pick, but he gives me that winner vibe of just like the fact that he was willing to go to rocks, like the calm composure, like the reading of the room. Uh, it's it's like almost Kim esque in his style. Who know, who knows at this point though? I mean, four episodes in, I definitely was not saying Erica last season. <laughs> yeah. it used it used to be a little bit more. You'd have an idea who the winners could be just based on how the show is portraying them. And I think that after season forty one, all of that's like out the door. Are you an edgic person? I mean, I'm an edgic person, and I'm like aware of what edgic is. I've always been a little bit more skeptical of it like some seasons it's right on some seasons it's a total mess so i think it's more hit or miss than like the edgic believers like to to think that it is and then last season was just like one of the most disastrous ever from an edgic perspective yeah. <laughs> i mean erica had been completely written off does the bachelor have any kind of like formal regit at edgic in the way that survivor does not really like i also i think the bachelor uh like there are certain like tropes that they're just like really committed to. And so more it's like people try to do that. And like, there's this uh bachelor like fan account called bachelor fan take that does like really careful breakdowns of the show and like all the trailers and everything. And so there is an aspect of that, but it's usually just like a lot more obvious. Also, you know, it's different with the bachelor and the bachelorette, but like the way that like a bachelor will be attracted to someone is usually clear. And then like with the bachelorettes, they also usually know like right away, there's like much less, like there's much less like who are they going to pick because you can usually tell who people are into. So I, I think, I think people look more for um with, with like the editing stuff. It's more like, what are they like? What are they lying to us about? And less mm-hmm. like what, who's, who's going to win. win. Yeah. I feel like you also get way more of the bachelor too. Cause isn't it, isn't it two hours a week? Yeah. And so on survivor, it's one hour, which is actually only 45 minutes. And you have these challenges that they have to do. And you have these advantages that they have to explain. So after that, you're left with so little content that everything that they're showing to you just has to matter in some way. Mm-hmm. Unless it unless it doesn't like last season and they just cut out the winner from the whole first half of the season. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I guess the other thing is like the bachelor, the way you win is based on your personality. And so like. I feel like it's heavier handed where, okay, this is a crazy person. Well, crazy people can't win. Whereas on Survivor, I feel like it's more about how does your personality fit into the game that you're playing and how other people are perceiving you. And so it's less, it's like, it makes sense that it's um, like that the formula is so much more complex. That there's always like OTTN, OTP, like MOR. Cause it's, (laughs) there's so many different ways that you can combine. And like villains are clear. And also on The Bachelor, the lead has like so little information. Like the viewers have way, way, way more information than the lead does while they're experiencing it. Whereas with Survivor, it's much more about like the contestants controlling information flow among each other. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's pretty different. But I just want to throw out Omar. He's he's my pick to win. I just sort of feel like persistently present in every episode and like he gets to like land a line. But because his tribes doing really well we haven't gotten a ton of him 
but he seems really likable. He seems smart. And he also seems like he could be underestimated by a lot of the other people. And so I feel like that could result in him going far, especially if this foursome goes into a merge strong, like maybe they're able, he's like able to like bring people along. I don't know. I just, I get winner vibes from Omar. Sophie, who's your winner pick? I will go with Omar as well. Uh, my husband's on the Omar train too. I think he's like riding that middle. I feel like it's very early, but he's for now he's riding that middle of the road train. Well, nice. I'm glad, yeah. glad he agrees. <laughs> yeah. That's what matters. Right. Yeah. Oh no. Or hi. Shoot. Maybe I like hi. Uh, yeah, no Omar, but hi is good too. Actually, you know who I really like? She's not going to win. Well, maybe she's lit. I don't know. Lydia. I don't know if I just like her though. Have you seen her Twitter presence? No, is it funny? Oh my yeah, god, hilarious! She, yeah, she's pretty funny. All right, I gotta check her out. I mean, I don't know if I maybe I've just like never met a Gen Z person before, so this is my first introduction. But she's great. <laughs> her, she really, does seem really like kind. yeah, she has like Gen Z brain where it's yeah. like something has to happen in three seconds or else uh, she's lost her her focus. <laughs> Great stuff. Like you almost feel like she's on like Survivor ironically, you know? (laughs) She reminds me of someone who would have been on the Netflix Babysitter's Club. I don't know why, but she just sort of like has like a real sort of like best friend kind of vibe to her. Yeah. Um, Swathi played the shot in the dark before she went home. Sophie, what do you think of that new addition to the game? I'm pro, but I'm really bored by it because I feel like it's never going to be safe. Yeah. Like today, I was, I barely watched because I was like, this is just going to be another not safe. It should be like one in three. That's what Tyson one thinks too. Yeah. I'm happy that people are playing it more because uh, I also think that like there shouldn't, I know there's this theory, right? That like if you play it, you're showing that you don't have trust in your tribe mates. But I'm kind of on the tribe that like it's better to not have it in your back pocket and have people think like, say, oh, they still have their shot in the dark. There's no downside. Like you're, it's not going to win. Uh, yeah, I think they got to lower the ratio. As long as you have it, there's this huge incentive for people to be like, we really have to hide that we're voting for that person. But if you don't yeah. have it, then they might be a little more honest with you. And then that might give you more maneuverability in the game. I just think it's too much of a shot in the dark. And I think, <laughs> I mean, I know it's a shot in the dark, but it's just like a little too, too much. much. Of a shot. <laughs> too much dark. Like if it was closer to like almost being an idol, you could see people potentially like, really taking a risk one episode being like, I'm going to put my shot in the dark. I'm going to screw a lot of people over. I'm going to attract the votes onto myself. But like, there's no, you can't rely on it. Yeah. Maybe it should be higher probability, but higher stakes too. Yeah. Like there's some like deleterious effect for your tribe or something. If you get it. I think so. All right. Let's wrap up with really quickly with our survivor superlatives that we do at the end of every episode. We've already done one of them because one of them is who's the front runner to win. We can do best move of the episode. Who? What? There weren't a lot of good moves on this episode, so this might be a tough one. Uh, do either of you have a pick? You know, I think the best move of the episode. It's really, it's really tough, but uh, I think it's. I think I'm gonna give it to Tori. I know that Roxroy doesn't like her, but I do think that she rightfully identified that she's on the chopping block and so she uh did what she could to stay and i I think the fact that she didn't go home and managed to make herself bearable gotta go to her was this the episode to say yes i can't think of anything else was the episode where high like forged like a semi-alliance with mike after both being blindsided okay i'm gonna give it to high i feel like he's you know he 
not only did he do that travel council incredibly well, but now he's like picking up the scraps and putting himself in a better position. That's a good one. I feel like uh, I want to shout out Drea, who everybody knows that she has an extra vote, which should make her a big target, but she was never in danger in this episode. Nice. That's a good point. Good point, too. I forgot about that. Although, did Roxbury just straight up not believe she had an extra vote? I'm not sure. I don't completely understand him, but I hope to in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Opposite. We might have more ideas for this one. What was the worst move of the episode? I'm going with Daniel, where he told Mike, I lied to you a lot. That's a quote. I wrote it down. Not not something you should say to someone else in Survivor? I'm going to go with Jonathan being like, thank you, Jeff. I am the strongest man alive, but it's also because my tribe adores each other and we're never going to ever vote against each other. Yeah, that was upsetting. I'm going to go with maybe not the worst move, but Marianne just saying her phrase again at (laughs) the immunity challenge. She doesn't need to. She's already said it once. So now whoever finds the idol will, will realize that that's why she said it and they'll say their phrase. So she can just wait. She doesn't have to say it every time. So that's my my least bad move. Probably not the worst move, but it wasn't. A- yeah, not great. Okay, favorite moment of the episode. A little different. This is like most entertaining. Mm, my favorite moment. Duh. I'm going to go with Jonathan swimming through yeah. the water. I, say, I love watching Jonathan cook. Yeah. It, was, it was Jonathan swimming. <laughs> yeah, same. That easy one. <laughs> great stuff. All right, I could do fine. more Jonathan. Yeah. Final superlative is who will be the next person voted out. I'm pretty sure Tyson and I have literally never gotten this right. At least I can't remember a time where we've gotten it right. So whoever Mm. we're picking here is almost certainly safe. (laughs) Um, Wow. I'm going to go with Tori. Me too. Mm. Nice. I think if that tribe, I feel like they could have voted out either Tori or Swathi. I think that tribe's a disaster. And if they go to tribal again, they're just they're going to vote out the other one. So I'm going to go with the green tribe going to tribal and then I'll do Daniel, mm, okay. which is sad because I want to see him continue to. Yeah, he's good. To try. TV. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's good TV. <laughs> Maybe not good at Survivor. <laughs> All right. I think that's everything. Sophie, it was so great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank yeah, you so much great. for coming on. It's uh, Tyson are like it's big shoes to fill. We'll have to get his feedback. I'm sure he'll provide it. I'm sure he will provide it. (laughs) Thanks so much, Sophie. We'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.